Jocelyn and I'm Jess and this is the Chicas Who Read podcast where we discuss texts and films through the lens of a history major and an artist. What comes out of our discussions may not give definitive answers to the things we speak about but who cares the objective is to have a dialogue around the things we find interesting confusing and exciting in the films and texts we read into. For today's episode we will be discussing Los Sures directed by Diego Echeverria. It's a documentary that encapsulates the style, the culture, and the community of 1980s Southside Brooklyn. The documentary is episodic and shares five stories of different people who lived who lived there at the time. So I want to get your initial, well, that was my little synopsis, but I want to get your little, your first impression. It was like a really, really timely piece. Yeah. Like, very dated. Um, and so I've never been to New York and I can only assume, like, how much it has changed now. Oh, for sure. But it, it was a very, very lively, colorful documentary. Um, I love the way that it was filmed, too. Like, it was very... And it was very short. Yeah. Too. Which, it it was nice to have a film that is short and to the point, but offers so many different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And also gets their point across at yeah. the same time. Like... You have these different voices in the film, but it's all the same undertone of, like, we're just trying to survive in this neighborhood. So that's what I really enjoyed about Mm -hmm. the documentary. Yeah, I really liked the look of it. It it straight up felt like you were in that time, if you're just looking at the documentary. Yeah, so it talked about a lot about the culture, and, uh, I mean, I'm not too familiar with Puerto Rican or Dominican culture, so this was a cool documentary to watch to get... A little bit more of an insight but still connect with it within your own because I feel like Latin culture in a way is very like family oriented and you definitely felt that through the film yes uh one of the mothers said that and I was like that's like awesome like and, and when when she said it she said it with so much fierceness in her voice mm-hmm. like yes I'm here for my family and you're gonna do nothing for like, nothing that you do is going to stop me from caring about my family and doing what's best for them. And I think that's the whole vibe amongst everyone who speaks in the documentary. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and with that, I want to go into these five people, these their lives. Wait, before you go on, what was your first impression? Oh, no, yeah, same. I uh, really like the style of it. Um, like I said, it feels like you're right in in that neighborhood and you feel the sense of community. Um, and if you were there, you probably would feel like, like you would want that even though you are part of this, like, low-income part of the neighborhood, but everybody makes you feel like family. (laughs) Um, and you're just, even though you're, you're looking at a lot of crime and, I mean, I kind of grew up in a... No, I for sure grew up in a in a really bad neighborhood, but it but I was surrounded by my actual family, so it it felt like very tight knit. So 
I'm sure that's what these people felt with like large with on a bigger scale with their entire um neighborhood um but yeah I, the documentary starts with tito he's a 20 year old male who is experiencing the neighborhood and being part of the existing crime that is going on he is stealing car parts because it's fast money and he enjoys making like that buck um because he he re- he mentions that he recently lost his brother and I think that really uh, made a huge effect on him and how he viewed life in that moment and that's why he started committing crime. What would you say? Yeah, I think I that part was very emotional, but also like it made me think of of Teresa like. <laughs> Um, in the beginning of the novena, her sister dies and she's like, I will never, um, she died because we're poor. I will never like suffer. And I think that maybe like through that, through like a a huge hardship that, you know, could have probably been prevented from maybe like having better income and living, um, in a safer environment or something like that, like his brother would still be alive yeah i really enjoyed his um cause, well from what i do know about brooklyn is kind of what i've gotten secondhand through my brother because he's a break dancer mm-hmm. and so he tries but doesn't try but he showed me a lot of b-boy history um and it started in new york started in brooklyn started on the streets and that's where you get origins of hip-hop you know with the turntables um, and that's a whole thing. That's pretty cool if you watch a documentary on itself. Um, but even the graffiti culture is started there also. Um, so you kind of see that in, in Tito's story because you see the break dancers, but it's also like kind of a gang thing in the beginning. But I know there's a, there's a split where, where the, where you'll either stay with dancing or you'll go into the gang violence. And so I guess you just have to choose. But um, but that was a cool little moment of history because you you see it recreated if you have seen. Um... In this next part, Jocelyn is going to butcher the name of the Get Down, the Netflix show that she's suggesting everyone watch. So in case you're wondering, that is a real name. It's not called whatever she's about to say. There's a series on Netflix. Get on up or get up. Something like that. Um, that That's uh, 80s New York, Brooklyn. And it's kind of the story. And they're, yeah, they're Puerto Rican. The main actor's Puerto Rican. Yeah. So if you want to see like a glamorized version <laughs> of what is going on in this documentary, that's a, that's a cool little, I think it's like one or two seasons and there are only like eight to ten episodes. If you want to watch that. But that's what I got from Tito's story. Yeah, this is this guy's just a father struggling to keep his family afloat. Like him, it, it's. I don't quite remember exactly what he was saying, and I might be completely wrong. But there are there are parts where he he, I think he expresses that he wants better for his child. Mm-hmm. And, that he doesn't want his child to do the same thing that he's doing. Um, and so I think that's a very common sentiment 
amongst pretty much the majority of the people in that community, just, like, wanting better for their children. So that was really interesting to see in, in Tito, and it was kind of like a... It was almost validating, too, because you have... I mean, I can only imagine how many people have to do things out of their comfort zone or, or things that aren't seen as morally right just to keep their family together and feed their family. Uh, so. And I think if anybody would have seen his story, they could have related, especially like youth in poverty-stricken neighborhoods, that they could relate to his story because you see that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like watching something like this could be impactful because you have a callback in the end of the documentary where he he's in jail and he got caught mm-hmm. and he's talking about like like I messed up and I should go back to having a proper job and getting like um like good money not mm-hmm. not bad money yeah so then we move on to Marta Marta she's a single mother of five children who um who's on welfare. She doesn't have a job because she can't get a proper job, and she, even though she's tried. And I think she has, like, four daughters and then one, the eldest son, mm-hmm. who's not in the documentary that much. Yeah. And they show kind of, like, a day where she goes to get her food stamps. By the way, that was a little bit of a trip. I know, right? Yeah, I stamps. know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> the old, like, actual coupon. Yeah, I was like, oh, that would be a little bit embarrassing to show because she she states that it's embarrassing to be on welfare and i'm like yeah if i had to give out like those coupons in, instead of actual money i would be a little yeah, bit you feel like a little bit of shame it's not hidden yeah through a plastic card how did you feel about like her story i think hers might have been my favorite um just because like single mom yeah <laughs> same i'm just so sympathetic Towards a single mom story. Yeah. Even though I really like the last two, I, yeah, hers was my favorite too. Yeah. And like her daughters. I love the way her daughters oh, I talk. Know. I know. I we love need it. coffee. I'm sorry. I, I love it. Yeah. Well, not only that, but they're, they seem pretty sure of themselves mm, too. And yeah. I think it's just having that, that mother energy. Like this, this lady really cares about her children. And she says something interesting, too. She says that when her eldest was younger, that they told her to move out because she, she could find better opportunity or whatever because her, her daughter was just going to get enwrapped in all the bad that's in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But she's like, I'd rather stay here and deal with my problems than move somewhere else and, like, run from them. Um, yeah. But it speaks to, like, the feel of that, that neighborhood and the feel of... She, she's like, I know these people, and in a way, I know, like... like what who, you're getting into. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like feeling that that sense of... Like, you have a little bit of security blanket because you have been there for so long. She had been there for so long. And then Ana Maria's next. And she's a Puerto Rican immigrant woman who... I I didn't get much from her story apart. Like, she was very re- religion-based, and I know she kind of stepped away from that for a little bit, and then she felt really bad because, I guess, bad things started happening in her life. But I like that they included her just because I think religion is 
really important to a lot of Latin communities, mm-hmm. and I like that that was represented because I'm sure they wanted to show that because you know, you know God and religion is a very um. Yeah, like I said, significant part of people's lives. Yeah, and I think that those, as much as people like to criticize religion and the structure of religion and what it does to people, I yeah, I think it's horrid. But I think at the same time, when you have a lot of immigrants come from Latin America, that's one of the first places where they find community is in a church. And so it was interesting to see that she didn't practice typical Catholicism, which was great. I I really loved it because it shows that these people, like you can't fit Puerto Ricans into one box. They're multidimensional beings and they're completely different people. And so I was very pleased that it wasn't showing like her praying on her (laughs) knees or something, you know? Uh, And it was... Very insightful. Yeah, I like I that there was that, that dude smoking. Just <laughs> yeah, all the service is happening. He's just chilling out. Yeah, yeah. That that was also one of my favorite parts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I liked everybody's story. Yeah, <laughs> but I think I I felt a little bit more joy when I I saw those just because they appealed to my interests and. Mm what I like to see a little bit more or what I identify with more. All right. And then Kuso is next. And he's a 42-year-old who was brought there by his mother. And he basically works to rebuild the infrastructure of the South Side while also employing those who are having a difficult time finding a job. And I think that's really important to give mm-hmm. his own people jobs. And you can see he cares about these people. And he's like, you know, if I if I have a job, I'll give it to you. Um, he's all like, I might be looking for somebody when he, one of them straight up asked, like, you know, I can't, I'm having a tough time finding a job. And he, you can see it in his face that he genuinely looks concerned. You know, he asked, do you have a job right now? And the guy answers no. And he's like, Psh, like, I'm sorry. Like, that's yeah. tough. Yeah. And those people are just as important in communities as our activist organizers and religious leaders and, and church groups. You need to have people who will employ your own community because you need money to survive. And so his story was very compelling, too. He reminded me a lot of my dad. Yeah. My dad was like that, too. He worked in construction and he would employ his friends and just help them out. He was very, like, friendly, like, I'll take care of my friends and I'll take care of my community. first type of guy yeah he talked about um you know it takes money to rebuild and he has competitors and they're everybody's fighting for a job and they're offering like less amount to do the work and they'll probably end up spending more than what is given to them yeah which is crazy because it's just like that's how much you need work that you're willing to spend more money than you're actually gonna make and he, even when he's going over his own numbers, he's, um, like, ridding of all his debt. And then he's like, like I have, like, a dollar that I made of profit to myself. Which, that's tough. Yeah. That's so sad. So depressing. 
Yeah. And then Evelyn. I, I really enjoyed Evelyn's story. She's an educated woman who grew up, of course, in Southside, and she worked for the National Congress of Neighborhood, which is of Neighborhood Women, which is a community-based agency. And she basically just works within the community to help mostly single parents, but also a lot of people in the community. And, you know, I love when, I think it's one of the first shots where she's trying to help a family out uh, whose their apartment just burnt down. She's mm-hmm. basically having a call to action with the radio. Too. Dude, yeah, she's yelling at people left and right. Yeah. And just being like, if you're a good person, you're going to give these ladies a ride somewhere. Like, I know all of y'all have a car out here. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, you a bad bitch. Yeah. It's so interesting to see the different categories of just, like, social, educational, and economic development within these characters in the film. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Uh, because again, it just offers like multi-dimensionality to this ethnic enclave of Puerto Ricans and Dominicans, and that place, like this, this documentary was released to commemorate that place that doesn't really exist anymore mm-hmm. because of gentrification. And so, when you see these stories of of these people that were born and bred in this neighborhood. And that community helped build them and helped build their success stories or their stories of trials and tribulations, but still succeeding through them. It's kind of sad to think about the that neighborhood, how it exists in its present moment, because that's getting erased yeah. little by little as time goes by. And even there was a, there was a even shorter short that I watched after watching this uh, short documentary. This documentary is about, like, less than an hour, like, five minutes. Yeah. Less than an hour. And uh, there was a 14-minute video that I watched after it, and it's called Remembering Los Uris. And it kind of gives an homage to this documentary. This documentary was released in 19... Or was made in 1983. Um, and the the short that I watched after was... It's more current. I can't remember what actual year it was, it was released in. But it was actually just talking about how the term itself, like Los Uras, is fading. Damn. Yeah. That's so fucked up. But then, so, so then we go into, like, Evelyn was saying, you know, she has these two children and how she was saying, like, back in her time, she, like, people did stuff in, in private, you know, like, if there was a person, like, doing crack or whatever they would do it in the corner and you wouldn't look because they would you know um and everything was kind of still like hidden but now that her children are go- growing up everything is just like nobody cares and it's getting worse and like crime is rising and she wants to save her neighborhood for her for her children and of course that's totally understandable but where it gets to is just like why does the term like cleaning up the streets then entail like oh, we're not going to clean up the streets for the community. We're going to clean up the streets for these other people who have money that want to mm-hmm. come into this community and basically run you out of their homes. Because it's more money for the city. I mean, of course. But it's just... but, it so, makes no sense. Yeah. And then the, that also, that short that I watched, so Los Uras is now 
kind of um, given a new definition in that there's an organization group that helps um, kind of just keep that, I guess, like the memory of just Southside. And there are still like smaller places in, um, I forgot where the, the actual place was. Um, Williamsburg. Williamsburg. Yeah, Brooklyn. Um, and there's like small little gardens that are still very uh, much there because people are fighting for them. And uh, there's this cute little old man who's like, yeah, I've gone to court twice. And he's like, if they want to take me to court a third time, that's fine because I have all my paperwork. (laughs) But it's just like these big companies trying to bring them down. It's like, no, we're here to stay. But I know you were talking about uh, you're reading this book. Yeah. (laughs) So... uh... It, it brought to the forefront of my mind thinking about these different migrant stories and what they entail because, and it, it gets pretty complicated since Puerto Rico is um, a more like recently colonized land for the U.S. So thinking of just like the experience and the stories of like why Puerto Ricans specifically like populate this part of Brooklyn, how they got there, um, is really important and is not, I keep, I feel like I keep saying this is really important. This is really important, (laughs) but I can't really think of more intense or more accurate terminology other than like, yes, it's very important to tell these stories because these stories get lost in translation. They get lost especially after gentrification, they're going to get lost. So it's very important (laughs) for people from these communities and especially Puerto Rican immigrants from wherever they live, uh, telling the stories of how they got there and how, uh, what their living conditions are, what their goals are at that point in time. People may think that's not... Uh, relevant, right? But it is because it it tells a lot of what U.S. involvement did to that particular country and why those people are here. And so when you start thinking of it in that way, you start questioning, like, well, why are other, why are people from other Latin American countries here? Uh, For example, why do a lot of Mexicans come here or why do a lot of Central Americans come here where there's different stories involved um, in each country that have everything to do with U.S. involvement in those countries uh, that brings those people here because they're destabilizing their country. So that's something that I really appreciated from this documentary is that while you do have, like, English-speaking citizen Puerto Ricans in there. There are still the stories of of migrants, and there is still this theme of migration in there, uh, which I I really appreciated because mm-hmm. that's that's something that needs to be told. Because there's nobody else that's gonna preserve this story, right? Like nobody else is gonna care except for those same migrants themselves or people who sympathize with that with that story, and even I think as like. Um, so I'm going to refer to Latin Americans as just Americans because we're all fucking American, but even just as like 
Well, maybe I might refer to them as Latin Americans sometimes, <laughs> just to be able to distinguish, but... Even amongst, like, Latin Americans, that's something that we all need to recognize, too, is just our different stories and the different things that caused our migration here. And I think that can help a little bit more in understanding each other and understanding our backgrounds and knowing that we're all different. Like, our our stories are not the same at all. Yeah. It's not this, like, a migrant story is not this, this same thread of I went to the US for a better life like yes that's implied but there's way more beneath the surface for sure for sure uh and so that was just really interesting to me because yeah like fuck the US it's <laughs> they they you you see this ethnic group um in, in their neighborhood, and, and you wonder, like, what is it that yeah. made them settle there, right? Like, yeah. what what is it that made conditions so bad in their country that they had to move to Williamsburg? And how did that community start? And why is it so important that it is not erased now? Yeah. But kind of it, well, it is getting erased, because what yeah. is... What is Williamsburg known as now? Like, this hipster town. Yeah. Just full of, like, organic products and... Oh, my God. Stuff like that. Yeah, I think also there's... Like, I feel really guilty because... I feel like artists are kind of very... Besides, like, you know, rich people that want to live in New York and have adventures or whatever... I want to eat organic produce for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. You also have artists that are moving into New York for a better opportunity and that are able to afford living there, and they're just gentrifying the shit out of wherever they move to. Yeah. Like, I think that's a that's a something that people don't really consider when they're moving for a career or whatever to a place they can afford, but that's something that should be considered, like... For sure. Right off the bat, like, how is your presence changing the way that this neighborhood functions? And what does you being able to live there say about the conditions of that neighborhood? And so that that's something that, as an artist, I think of a bit, like, right, especially yeah. right now as I'm about to, I'm thinking <laughs> about grad school and stuff, like, where, how is my presence going to negatively impact or you know, like, how is it going to change this area? Because there's there's been stories of, of just because of the migration of artists going to New York, because, you know, New York has this yeah. very uh, grand uh, reputation of being a great place for adventure and artistry and creativity or whatever. But how is that affecting New York? Well, you can see it. Yeah. Well, I think it's stated Already. not in the documentary, but in the short after I, the, I think it's called Remembering Los Uras, Um That is saying that one of the first people that moved there that weren't part of that community were artists. Yeah. I'm so ashamed. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry, Los Uras. <laughs> but yeah, it just kind of does change the dynamic and speak to just 
well, I get you would want to make your own art, but I feel like if you, it would be different if you exposed, like, the importance of the community with your art. Um, yeah, like, there's ways to be conscious and be sensitive to the neighborhoods that you move into. I'm, I, for myself, don't know what I would do, but I know that that's something that I would consider moving somewhere else and I think that others should consider especially because your presence there like just your bare presence there means that somebody else can't afford that place to live in when they could before yeah your presence there like kicks somebody out yeah. And if that if that doesn't make you think twice about where you move for I'm I'm speaking about artists no, like I, in general. If that doesn't make you think about where you move to go practice your art and whatever become this profound like poetic <laughs> whatever person like do you go on your artistic journey but fucking think about people. Yeah. Think about people. Like don't don't be an asshole. <laughs> I mean, and we're seeing it here in Houston. I mean, oh, I don't know about yeah. the artist thing, but... Uh, Just gen- gentrification from yeah. a whole bunch of developers. Yeah. God. It's weird seeing it, like, first perspective. Because, well, I... We and have... especially in Houston, because it's so large, and you have all of these little neighborhoods mm-hmm. here and there that are historic and have their own same thing kind of like ethnic enclave of of people like you have the southwest which is very like uh central american and then you have a leaf and you have i would say northwest but it's like (laughs) it's a mix over there mainly white people but you have a lot of latinx people as well um and even like near me i live in like i don't I feel like the place where I live is not that relevant by any means, but I'm seeing gentrification there. Like, there are so many business buildings popping up, and there are so many offers coming in to buy our home Mm -hmm. and, like, to buy others' homes. So it's just crazy, like, this whole... The U.S. trying to kick (laughs) us poor folk out! (laughs) Straight up. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. So, um, yeah, I'd, I I would see us. I I I can't I can't envision Houston like 10 years from now. I know. No, I know. I feel like we need to make a documentary right now to get the snapshot of of Houston right now before it is completely new cuz honestly I think for the Heights it was needed like oh, yeah, probably like, 15 but, years yeah. ago. The Heights is like Way Anglo washed as fuck right now. I I love when Charlie talks about the gentrification. Our friend Charlie! (laughs) Shout Shout out out. to our friend Charlie. Her family has lived in the Heights for, I think, generations. If I'm wrong, please correct me. But it feels like generations. And she always talks shit about the gentrification in the Heights. And we love that you do that. So keep it up. Keep keep doing it. Because people need to hear it. Yes. And it's from her first perspective. Like, she literally saw all of it. Yeah, she's been there. Yeah. And her house is so cute. It's the cutest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, so keep talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. No, it's it's crazy. But I think that what makes the narrative in this film um, a little bit more powerful um, than, say, like, if it, if it was a straight-ahead, like, almost kind of National Geographic-esque type of documentary is the way that it's filmed and the way that 
these, uh, I know I just talked a whole bunch of shit about artists, but <laughs> these artists that filmed the, the documentary, um, how they stylized it, like, you could tell that they were able to, you could tell that they were able to get very close and to win the trust of the people that they were interviewing, uh, just in the way that it was filmed, like, it doesn't, the, the filmers, um, are straight up riding in the car with Tito while yeah. he's about to go steal <laughs> there was some, deep some trust, car parts, yes. right? He, they're in the church where this woman is worshiping the non, like, it's not a traditional, mm-hmm. like, Christian religion. Um, and they had a little Native American um, figure as a close-up shot in in one of the... Oh, yeah, the yeah. And, and, you know, this the, the filmmakers were... Uh, filming this woman paying food stamps like those are very intimate shots for sure and so one of the things is that this this documentary took five years to film and it was over it was 60 artists that filmed the whole thing so can you imagine like how long these people had to work with the community and see what is the best way to tell their story? I think that's very important because you have a yeah. you have from an artist standpoint, like you have a lot of artists who try to do the same thing, but you can always tell how far removed from the story you are based on how close the camera is to your subjects. Like when when I saw that that clip when they were riding in the car with Tito, I was like. <gasps> Oh my god! Like, okay, this is good. I'm gonna get some good shit out of here. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't think that they were gonna film him. I'm like, wait, are they really gonna film him like stealing parts and breaking down this car? I know. Yes, they do. They do film that. And why is that? That means Tito trusted these people. Yeah, that it speaks levels. Yeah, and that's something. That's something to look out for when when you watch documentaries or when you watch stuff about people look at how close the camera is because if it's not that close, like the person who's filming or creating the storyline is not uh, close enough to show the level of comfort that is actually between their subject and whoever's filming. And that's also super important to take a note of because like, why are these people, why are these artists filming this documentary? Right? Like why did it take them so much time? Why are there so many of them? Why did they choose these different storylines um and you also think of like how did they get this close to people by building that relationship yeah that relationship and building that trust Mm -hmm. which makes it not be exploitative yeah yeah you can you can feel watching the the documentary that feels like it was super like carefully crafted yeah and they want to get like a genuine um feeling throughout it and you you can see like the love that the maker the filmmakers have of just the community itself because that that is the thread that holds all these stories together it's just that sense of community no matter who you are if you're an educated person if you're a person um who's living a life of crime you know if you're immigrant or single mother you know whatever you're part of this huge family and the filmmaker makes that very apparent. And I think that's yeah. super important. And and it's amazing the way it was crafted. 
Yeah, that's that's what makes it so beautiful. Yeah. It's just like the proximity and the in, how intimate it is. Um and I believe the the people who filmed it were part of Union Docs Center for Documentary Art and that I'm not sure if I'm 100% correct, but it looks like it's based in New York. Mm-hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. Like you have your own community members speaking to your own community members. Yeah. Because after, like, if you have someone, like, imagine how much different the perspective would be if you had someone, say, from, like, fucking Rhode Island filming this thing about a Brooklyn neighborhood. Like, that would, motherfuckers wouldn't leave their car. They would just be filming from inside their car, you know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't, it would not be the same. No, no, for sure. And you wouldn't get, like... A proper narrative. You would just see an outsider's perspective. Yeah, an exotified perspective, which is very problematic. That's that's something that to think about when watching documentaries. Yeah. Now I kind of want to rewatch some documentaries and see the close proximity. Yeah, you gotta look at that perspective, dude. Because you never know. (laughs) You never know. There's like a there's some old um. I, I want to watch some old, like, Native American documentaries and see this, the perspectives in those, because they're obviously, like, filmed <laughs> by white people. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be on my to-do list for 2019. <laughs> yeah, because it's so telling. Do you have any specific in mind that you've seen? Nah, girl, I'm going to have to do my oh, research. okay. But I know they're out there. Well, we can cover... I just can't think of any specific names. But yeah, we can cover them, too, like... Uh, we've been doing a lot of Latinx media, right. we've realized. <laughs> yes. Uh, it just kind of started like that, uh, but that's not all that we're going to be covering. Of course not. We're going to be, t- we have a lot of other different stuff that we've got planned, but I think for right now. This it, is kind of what spoke to us. This and is kind of like the right. wave and what, yeah. 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 But, uh, we have other stuff planned that is not, um, exclusively Latinx. Yeah. With that said, though, we are still going to continue the Latinx boat. Um, and the next three, the next episode, at least, will be a little bit off in that um, we're reading uh, Gloria Anzaldu, Anzaldu, Anzaldua's book of board, called Borderlands. And um, we're going to split this, I think, into three episodes. It'll, it'll either be three or two. Um, and so not next week, but the week after, I think, will be the first episode that we do on Borderlands, um, so we can get back to books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and she, she's talking about her, her book is about Latin X identity, um, that deals with just, uh, being a woman and, uh, and identity. Yeah. Mexican, Mexican American identity. And it's mm-hmm. super interesting and amazing and you should read it. And you should read it now, and that way you can... Yeah, right? <laughs> that way yeah. you can be in tune with us for uh, next episode. For sure. Yeah, you can be in the loop. Yeah. And also, okay, we messed up uh, our friend Chris's handle <laughs> the last time we shouted him out. It's actually Ocean SP, right? Oceans. Ocean, sorry. SP. Okay. Oceans SP on... O-C-E-A-N-S-S-P. On Instagram. On Instagram. Okay. Is it like that on Twitter too? 
I don't think he, he has a Twitter. Term? Okay. I don't know if he has a Twitter, but uh, y'all can try looking him up if you are interested. Yeah. And yeah. he made that track for us. Our intro and outro are by him, and they're dope as fuck. Yeah. And now you can follow him at his proper handle. I know, right? The, I think our first episode was like, follow our friend Jones. I mean, follow our friend Chris at Ocean Jones. And that's his That's his music name, like his artist name, but it's not his Instagram yeah. handle. <laughs> our but, intentions were in the right place. Yeah, they were there. And you can follow <laughs> us on Twitter and Instagram on Chicas Who Read. And you can listen to our podcast on Spotify Apple and Anchor, Anchor and anywhere you can find podcasts. Um, Google Podcasts. I think it's on Stitcher now and all the all of them, all the podcasts, all the podcast apps. You know, everybody's coming out with podcasts now, so y'all, I know y'all have some apps <laughs> on your phone already, so it shouldn't be hard. And to iPhone reach. users, they they automatically have podcasts. Yeah. Installed, so, um, also. I feel like we've already gotten to the updates part of our of our episode. Um, we are streaming some advertisements in our episodes, so uh, I know this is just our third episode, but um, girls gotta eat. So uh, yeah, share our podcast. Yeah, if you like this episode um, or any episode, share it. Actually, let us know what you think, because we like hearing what you guys think. And tell your friends about it. Go tell your friends about it. I'm sorry. <laughs> tell your parents about it. Tell your Tell neighbor. your sister, your brother. Tell your dog. Your next door neighbor. I don't your know. Your next door neighbor. Your cousin your who just had a baby. Anybody. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Hope you like this episode. Come back in, in two weeks mm-hmm. and hear our For next episode. Our conversations on Gloria and Saldua, Borderlands. I'm sorry that I always mess <laughs> names up. I'm so sorry. Can't read. <laughs> I should I should be better at names. But okay, thank you. <laughs>